I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. In Welcome back to Grubstakers Premium. We are here with you uh, for the last, the third and last part of our look at the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. Who knows? We might do several more. Yes. Uh, <laughs> fucking the last part because we're all going to get killed after we leave the <laughs> studio. Yeah, this is the big one where uh, just as we're reaching the climax and dramatic conclusions, we all shoot ourselves in the back of the head. You guys hear this music coming on in the background? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, so what we haven't talked about yet, we, we left you on the previous episode, we talked about um, BCCI and how it expanded because of, you know, covert uh, arms and money given to the, uh, the Afghan Mujahideen with the Soviet invasion, how BCCI officers in the ISI, which are almost one and the same, were able to skim, you know, billions off the top of that. Uh, and how they expanded because of petrodollars as well. Uh, but what we haven't talked about is their forays into the American market. Because BCCI was a petrodollar bank. They mm -hmm. were doing the banking for the UAE. Um, they had some Saudi clients as well, but mainly for the UAE. Billions of dollars in petrodollars. So BCCI was set up in London. They were set up all around the world, but they didn't have an official branch in the United States. And it was interesting where the Federal Reserve, we, we've talked about this on previous parts, the um, comptroller of the currency, a, a lower person there, did an audit of BCCI in 1978 and said, this is a fraud. This thing cannot be allowed to own a U.S. bank. Right. So BCCI makes two attempts to buy a U.S. bank, which are both rejected, and then they finally get lucky with their third one. And um, I believe we actually have some, some music, in fact, the sound of what a BCCI bank in America sounds like. American. <laughs> you can bank with us. <laughs> uh, imagine being there in the recording studio. Yeah. <laughs> like you're in the the chorus. I guess. Yeah. Right, right. And there's like the male soloist that goes this <laughs> Imagine being one of those singers and you open up the paper and it's like first American shut down for fraud and you're like, well, there go those royalty checks. <laughs> you can blackmail senators. <laughs> With video you of can, underage girls, <laughs> you can finance terrorism. <laughs> Money off of crimes in America. Kill a journalist. So, um, for uh, the the history of uh, BCCI attempting to enter the U.S. market, they start out with. Um, Andy's line was just kill a journalist. <laughs> well, they did. It wasn't even about baking. <laughs> that would be great if it was like that. We didn't. You can't see the commercial, but if you do, it's actually a guy walking into an apartment in Guatemala <laughs> and shooting a Financial right. Times journalist. First American bank. You can't kill a FT journalist. Right. We tried to find the actual commercial, but we couldn't. We, the clip is from the Frontline documentary where we've gotten a lot of our drops for these last few parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead of uh, that uh, eye patch woman whistling and uh, kill Bill, 
you just she's actually whistling the first American bank <laughs> thing that she goes into the So um uh BCCI, they were originally working with um Bertram Lance, who is again Jimmy Carter's former budget director, part owner of the National Bank of Georgia. Uh, he's working with them to try and help BCCI buy the bank that would eventually be renamed First America, First American Bank. Um, they try twice, BCCI does, both times they're rejected, where they have, you know, BCCI fronts who go in and say, yes, BCCI is putting up the money for us, but BCCI is not going to control this bank. Uh, not at all. And um, the Fed says, no, fuck that. BCCI is a fraud. We do not want to allow them into the U.S. banking system. But what they do is on their third attempt, they are successful at buying First American. They take it over in 1981. Um, they, uh, it was called Financial General. They rename it uh, First American. And they're finally successful because they hire a guy named Clark Clifford. And you may not have heard of Clark Clifford. I hadn't before this episode. Clark Clifford is one of the... like Giant mo- red dogs. Too. <laughs> Great name. He's uh, one of these uh, you know behind-the-scenes guys in Washington who... Um, He's a guy who has a real name. Yes. He's one of these behind-the-scenes guys in Washington who who do have so much power, and you never really hear about them unless they really fuck up, like he did with BCCI. But another thing that I found interesting about Clark Clifford is he was one of the top aides to President Harry Truman. He'd been in various Democratic in- administrations for decades. He was one of the top aides to Harry Truman and also the co-author of the National Security Act of 1947, which created the CIA and the National Security Council. Oh, those are great organizations. Yes. Yeah, so uh, if we haven't hopefully established any... <laughs> If we haven't established enough CIA connections, just remember that the guy who created the CIA would go on to become the uh, chairman and CEO of First American Bank. And in fact, in that jingle we played for you, if you watch the commercial, Clark Clifford appears in it. Oh, really? Is he a singer? (laughs) He does backing vocals. Uh, so Clark Clifford, he's uh, a top aide to Harry Truman. He co-authors the National Security Act 1947. And then he leaves the White House and becomes a lawyer slash lobbyist. He basically sells out post-Truman administration. He starts doing, you know, uh, consulting for all of the big names or m- most of the big names in uh, corporate America, right. uh, lobbying their concerns primarily to Democratic administrations. But he's he's a very interesting figure where he's, an informal advisor to, you know, Kennedy and LBJ and uh, all these different people, while at the same time just uh, completely cashing out on his Washington connections. Um, but he uh, he's the one who, in 1981, Clark Clifford meets with the Fed, the Federal Reserve, to defend BCCI's takeover of First American Bank. He says that him and his partner, uh, I believe Robert Altman was his partner at his law firm, he says that they will run First American Bank totally independent of BCCI. Hmm. Um, and then uh, it becomes clear, and they are later. I'm just now imagining that like song over footage of just Contras mowing down civilians. <laughs> right. <laughs> just like put that over <laughs> footage of fucking mustard gas from the Iran Iraq War. <laughs> Um, but so uh, Clark Clifford would later be charged by Robert Morgenthau, uh, as well as the Federal uh, Justice Department, uh, for lying to the Federal Reserve because it was a felony for BCCI to take over First American uh, Bank. It was a violation of U.S. banking law. 
Um, and, and that's where this clip from uh, way back uh, an episode and a half ago came from uh, when uh, Congress, they claimed that they uh, had nothing to do with BCCI as First American Bank. And that was when a uh, senator said, uh, the sum total of this committee's investigation is that you have been in bed with BCCI for at least 10 years. You're telling us all you got was a back rub. <laughs> Um, but yes, Clark Clifford got a little more than a back rub. He, uh, <laughs> salute to that guy's delivery, by the way, very <laughs> underplayed. According to the outlaw bank, Clark Clifford and his partner Altman, uh, they cleared at least 32 million from BCCI in, uh, just under two years. So yes. they, they made a lot of money, but he kind of went a bridge too far though. He eventually would just plead out and pay a fine, uh, for quote unquote health reasons. He died, <laughs> he died in, I believe 97, uh, he's charged in 91. He eventually just pleads out and pays a fine. Um, but you know, he is dragged before Congress. And I hope you're he, saying, I'd hoped you were saying bleed out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he dies of a naturally occurring bullet to the back of the head. Oh, those occur all the time for journalists. Yeah. Yeah. It's a common issue. Writer's block, <laughs> bullet to the head, jaundice. Yeah. It's um, called a, a journalist's flu. Yes. <laughs> but so uh, Clark Clifford is, you know, the a huge lobbyist in Washington. He he represents BCCI's interests very well, um, particularly with, you know, various Democrats who might be skeptical of uh, a Republican administration. Uh, he represents BCCI very well. And um, another thing that happens is... Yeah, we don't want to slander his representation. <laughs> no, 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 not here. Uh, so there's also a Saudi uh, named Gaith Farion, uh, P-H-A-R-A-O-N. Uh, and I, I'm just bringing him up because him, along with uh, Kamal Adham, the Saudi intelligence chief, and a couple others, they were the BCI fronts, mm. where BCCI said, these Saudis and other businessmen, these are the money. This is not you know, a BCCI thing, even right. though they were getting all these loans and give, being given the cash by BCCI. But why I bring up uh, Farion is um, he was a former Saudi billionaire who got wiped out in the oil crash, mm -hmm. but then BCCI used him as a front billionaire, mm. where BCCI gave him like at least $500 million and had them him act as their representative and i don't know where have you heard a story of a guy getting 500 million dollars out of nowhere an inexplicable billionaire uh representing the interests of others who perhaps do not want themselves at front and center elon musk yes <laughs> jeffrey epstein yes but I guess, you know, the story of First American is this is a very successful BCCI front. Apparently, uh, Clark Clifford would fly to, I believe, London and meet with Abadi at least once a month, and Abadi would give the marching orders. So Clark Clifford lied. He told the Fed and other agencies, uh, you know, we swear under penalty of perjury, we will be totally independent of BCCI and its owner, Abadi. <laughs> but they're just taking straight up marching orders and... Uh, Plenty of people have testified BCCI and First American money was totally interchangeable. And how did that uh, penalty of perjury go? Uh, he paid a fine. <laughs> <laughs> he paid a fine equal to like 0.1% of the depositor <laughs> money stolen. 0.0001. I do like the jingle being like, First American, you can't put your deposits here. <laughs> Nothing shady in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> Um, but so the story of how BCCI collapses, and you know we'll do that, and then we'll kind of talk about possible Jeffrey Epstein links. The story of how BCCI if you're good, yes, yeah. yes, if you're good <laughs> for the ten dollar level, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about the Jeffrey Epstein links. But the story of how BCCI collapses is simple enough. There's a there's a U.S. Customs investigation. Um, 
uh, where customs agents in Florida infiltrate BCCI. They're investigating the Medellin cartel, and BCCI is so blatant in its money laundering that they do this investigation, Operation Sea Chase. And um, what happens is, you know, they nail BCCI. Uh, sorry. They indict BCCI in 1988. But what happens is, and uh, multiple customs agents involved in this would resign, one of them saying in his letter uh, something to the effect of, I can no longer continue um, being an agent if this is how I am represented, if the people above me are misrepresenting the U.S. public this way. I'm, par I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that where he says, you know, the people above me are stamping out this investigation. Uh, remember, it's the kind of thing that makes the average citizen puke and look at this system and say, yuck. You know, what's going on? You know, I will say this entire time, I have not puked or said yuck. I've had a couple yucks. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. guess we all have had a couple of yucks. That's yeah. a fair point, Andy. When I heard the jingle. <laughs> um, but so no, Nobody yucks for the jingle. Mm -hmm. First American Oh, we got Oh, fuck. You can puke in your mouth. <laughs> you can do it. Drive in America. You can puke in your own car. It's your car. <laughs> Just like eight-year-old boys dancing to that jingle. <laughs> <laughs> On the peanut farm. Um, but look, what happens in Florida, and this is the... Oh, the peanut farm was too Florida. far for you? You made the joke about pedophilia, and then when it was on the peanut farm, you're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Yeah, no, we can't be accusing Jimmy Carter. He didn't know what was happening. It wasn't him doing it. It was just was on his farm. He was misled, for yeah. sure. He was like, look, I, I, I just don't even believe in it sexually, but in order to make the peanuts grow, you have to do this. Oh, my God. You have to do the child sacrifice. You know, the, the We've done this for thousands of years, <laughs> harvested peanuts. Listen, this I could accept the child sex, but when it was for <laughs> agricultural reasons, that's where I drew the line. But so this Florida plea deal, 1988, uh, it's interesting. The way it's described is um, they indict you know, various members of the Medellin cartel. They indict a few lower-level BCCI bankers. Um, BCCI puts all the defendants up in condos. Uh, and they pay for Florida police to guard them in the condos instead of waiting in jail. And uh, the Outlaw Bank, the book, speculates, or I think very credibly, that the reason they did this is to prevent all of them from cutting plea deals. Because if these defendants had been allowed in jail, you know, either a lawyer or somebody in the courtroom would have said to them, yeah, you could plead out with the feds. Like, you don't have to do 20 years. Right, right. So... They have these people be sacrificial lambs, like they get, you know, various sentences up to 20 years. You know, they talk about uh, the various wailing in Urdu in the courtroom when these sentences are read out. They clearly, these bankers didn't understand U.S. law or what was happening to them. And they had no idea they had the option to rat on anybody because BCCI <laughs> kept it from them. Oh, really? And so the U.S. Justice Department, which again, Robert Mueller is the, uh, Robert Mueller is the assistant attorney general. Mueller? Yeah. He uh, is the guy who goes out on television and says, we did everything possible here. But what actually happens is uh, the Justice Department settles for a $14 million fine. Again, crippling. This is Sarah Kenzier from Gaslit Nation, and you're listening to Mueller She Wrote. <laughs> oh, we bad. Yeah. We did everything we could. <laughs> There's no conspiracy. So as part of this... Um, we wrote the fucking jingle, guys. Ooh, we tried. An investigator for John Kerry's Senate committee 
uh, he flies out to Florida and he interviews one of these BCCI bankers and he records this interview. And the BCCI banker tells him straight up, yes, First American is a front. We own it. We run it. And he also tells him they that they gave bribes to various politicians. They have, uh, you know, Clark Clifford is on their payroll, et cetera, et cetera. This is all in 1988. And then what happens is um, the Justice Department, under Robert Mueller, Assistant Attorney General, uh, <laughs> will tell the Kerry Committee and tell Manhattan DA Robert Morgenthau that they the tapes of this interview do not exist. They really? are not familiar this with is it. Sarah Kenzier from Gaslit Nation, <laughs> and you're listening to Mueller. She wrote. <laughs> best podcast out there man they will also uh refuse document requests from the carry committee refuse document requests from robert morgenthau say they don't have these documents uh you know all Blocking this other- on twitter for saying vietnam vets committed war crimes <laughs> all this other shit where they get this you know 14 million dollar fine some of the lower level bankers go to jail but they don't follow up on any of the allegations it's from 1988 to 1991 they're just not following up on this clark clifford bribery they're not following up on first american secretly owned all the other people Im- implicate it um and i guess you don't have to take our word you can listen to robert morgenthau uh respect it uh, former district attorney of Manhattan, uh, Democratic Party stalwart, was fired by Richard Nixon and became the most principled uh, district attorney in Manhattan history. But he says directly that the Department of Justice, under Robert Mueller, <laughs> blocked him and tried to cover up this investigation. <laughs> you can bank as a informant there were people on the tape whose identities in existence they wanted to keep secret assistant district attorney john moscow is morgenthau's chief bcci investigator but they told your office these tapes didn't exist i know and so that they they were mistakenly trying to conceal the identity and the existence of these people oh yeah (laughs) so it was a Quite a considerable period of time where we were not getting any help or assistance from the Justice Department. Why? That's a question you've got to address them to them. Yeah, that was Robert Morgan. This is Sarah Kenzier from Gaslit Nation, and you're listening to Mueller She Wrote. <laughs> But, you know, so this kind of goes on from 88 to 91. But what happens is uh, uh, around 1990 or early 91, Robert Morgenthau, as district attorney of Manhattan, prepares an indictment of BCCI. Should be noted, his investigators said they believe they were being followed, photographed. Uh, BCCI certainly has a lot of power uh, in its own. Paparazzi. Yeah. Uh, so Robert Morgenthau and the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, say that they're going to indict BCCI for being uh, for secretly owning First American Bank and for lying about this. So they have to fly out to the Bank of England. The Bank of England knows they've done. Uh, Price Waterhouse Cooper was the auditor uh, that you know, like for example, in 1985, they certified BCCI's books without qualification <laughs> as being perfectly on the up and up. <laughs> and this is again 1978. The U.S. Comptroller of Currency is like this is a fraud, um, but. For whatever reason, at one point in, I think, 1990, PricewaterhouseCooper does an honest audit where they're like, we don't know how big the hole is. There's a giant hole in these books. Right. And then the Bank of England... And soon to be in our heads. 
the Bank of England and BCCI conspire together to cover this up because the Bank of England is talking to Sheikh uh, Zaid of the United Arab Emirates and trying to get him. They get him to put in like two billion or something. But it's so cute how that island keeps doing imperialism. Wait, wait, wait. This island that's the UK yeah. is helping people hide money? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we're. What do you have a problem with the UK, Yogi? Wait a second, guys. <laughs> not not the jolly old England. <laughs> they got the funny voices. They're good guys, right? Yes. You want more porridge? They're those guys. <laughs> Spanish Inquisition. Come on. Don't we love UK? Oh, that was Spain. <laughs> I was doing Monty Python, Andy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Um, but so, you know, uh, PricewaterhouseCoop. So the Bank of England, they're worried this thing's going to go under and then UK depositors are going to get hosed because, of course, the Bank of England allowed BCCI to open and then people in the UK to put their money in. Right. So they're trying to convince the Sheikh to um, put more billions in to bail it out and then move it from London to UAE. Uh, but then the Americans fly out and are like, no, we're shutting this shit down. So then the uh, Bank of England has to seize it. Mo- uh, Morgenthau indicts it and it goes out of business. And then from 91 to 2017, there have been various lawsuits of various people trying to get the money back where nobody knows exactly how big the hole is. But usual estimates are about $15 billion went missing. Did anyone get any money back? Uh, so the liquidator claims that 75% of the money came back, but I, I'm very skeptical about that claim. Yeah, it seems high. I you think know. 75% of his money came back. Yes. <laughs> I think it's like 75% of the people who like had the connections to get their money back. Right, right. No, really, though, yeah. Yeah, not the like people in, I don't know where it was, like, Southeast Asia, shown right. at the beginning of the Frontline documentary, where they're like rioting and in Bangladesh police, or Bangladesh and police are like beating them down. I don't imagine those people got their life savings back. Right. So we've we talked about it a fair bit. BCCI was, and you know, like Jimmy Carter bears some responsibility for this. Where you talk about this is a, th- a third world bank that is challenging, you know, U.S. imperialism and all all this shit. Um, uh, so Not some a good chunk of it. He was the one that gave them the car blanche to be like they're a good bank. Right. I mean, the same vein of the Jay-Z qualifying the Barclay group for the stadium. Jimmy Carter was the reason why BCCI grew as exponentially as they did at one point. He was the face. Right. So migrant Pakistani workers in the Gulf states are putting their money in BCCI, uh, impoverished people in Bangladesh. And BCCI also had a secondary business where they would give loans to, you know, medium or small sized businesses throughout the third world where a lot of Western banks wouldn't touch them. So, you know, and and would also hold their deposits. So if you're getting a loan from somebody, you want to put your money there, you trust Mm -hmm. them. So you just have to imagine that the people who actually got their money back were not the desperately poor people who were uh, rioting to get their money back when this thing went under. Mm -hmm. Yeah, direct action doesn't work. (laughs) In no way, 75% is the number, dog. This don't make any sense. Maybe 69, Mm -hmm. but not 75. (laughs) Um, but you know, so, and then of course, uh, Abadi had a heart attack Abadi. and he, he had a heart attack and later a stroke in either 88 or 89. He would say in interviews, oh, everything was running fine, but then I stepped away from it. <laughs> and then in like two years, it became a giant fraud. Uh, but he was, uh, he was indicted, but Pakistan protected him because he owned the entire government. So he died in 1995 under house arrest. And, uh, there's lots of speculation, but nobody ever found his secret Swiss bank account, but you know, Hey, uh, definitely one of, <laughs> you know what? We, we don't always say billionaires are smart on this podcast, but you got to give him some credit. 
Who who got the government in his will? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just the estate attorney, and uh, you get the uh, nation of Pakistan. That's right. Uh, you get the entire nation of Pakistan, Osama bin Laden. <laughs> All right, and so you know, I guess what we should mention here to kind of close out the at least the first BCCI part of the story is. Kamal Adham, we've talked about him a lot, head of Saudi intelligence from around 1965 to 79. Uh, he, of course, George H.W. Bush, denies having ever met him, despite being the, se- the head of the CIA. Right. Um, but so, according to the book... I don't know anything about this man, except I've read bad stuff about him. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't like, you know, I don't like what I read about him. It is funny. I'm, I'm just now realizing, you know, how, like... In movies, each era, like the president mm-hmm. in movies, reflects the existing president. Right, right. And it, it it didn't hit me until I watched the Pelican Brief that like, oh yeah, whenever they would have like this dumb out of touch president in a movie, it was just modeled off of Reagan and Bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Kamal Adham, uh, partially in response to Bush's comments about not knowing him, gives this interview uh, to a, a radio station in Cairo on January 5, 1992. And I'm just going to quote a little bit from it. It's, this is from the book, The Outlaw Bank. He says, this bank, BCCI, is not any bank. It is a bank that owns 69 banks around the world in 69 countries. This is not very much appreciated by, nice. the, big, by, <laughs> by the big powers who were somehow like guardians to the younger students in the school. They always, in the past, used to monitor what the third world used to do. For example, if you want to buy arms, they, the Western powers, know exactly how the deal is made. If you want to make a venture in atomic energy, which they don't want anybody to do, they monitored all that. Suddenly, a new vehicle appeared on the scene which belonged to the third world, and the vehicle was spreading so fast that it had branches all over the world. This somehow made them feel that the third world, instead of using the vehicle they usually assign to us to use, have their own vehicle. So now the money came from the oil business, went, that, that came from the oil business, went to this vehicle instead of the banks of the Western world. If you look around in the banking world, you will see that most of the Arab banking organizations with international branches are being hit one after the other, and it cannot appear to be coincidental. I believe that some of this is intentionally done because of the new order does not allow anyone to have his own vehicles and to to do with it as he wants. There are so many things that were done through the bank, BCCI, that are regarded by the third world as an achievement, like funding the Pakistani Atomic Energy Program. To the world, this is a dangerous game. The young people are playing, and they are not part of the nuclear bomb club. But for the Pakistanis, the ones, the one that helped them is a hero, since India has an atomic bomb, so why can't Pakistan? Whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way it can defend itself. And so... So his theory is that BCCI got taken down because they were edging up on the IMF's turf. Yeah. Yes. Because they're anti-imperialist. Yep. But <laughs> okay. So just like some This Im- is a really woke thing. Some important <laughs> things about this. He acknowledges in this radio interview, he's uh, I believe it's in Arabic, so it's not intended for the western audience, but of course, you know, US intelligence services would be aware of this interview and him saying it. He acknowledges that BCCI got Pakistan the atomic bomb. And there's a lot of smoke about how exactly they did this, but it's very much, I think, credibly alleged they did this with help from French sources as well as possibly the CIA. And oh, the fucking French are up to this yes. shit again. Those frog-eating fucks. Yeah, and possibly the CIA and the Americans. So, you know. Oh, that makes sense. Right. So, uh, and, you know, the, there, there have been so many different weapon systems that the U.S. 
in various capacities passed along to BCCI that BCCI in turn resold to the um, Chinese. Oh, to, standard banking procedure. <laughs> yes, to uh, Saddam Hussein, um, to oh, the Soviets. It's worth pointing out that in the early 80s when China was lifting its sanctions on uh, Western-owned banks and whatnot, they uh-huh. were the, they're in there before, in before the Western banks. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, in the special economic zones. Yeah, there's various allegations that they might have uh, influenced Deng Xiaoping, either through straight-up bribery or uh, the usual protocol department (laughs) method, but uh, we don't have any hard evidence about that. But I guess what I wanted to point out here is Kamal Adham is not a stupid guy. He knows how the intelligence game is played, so he gives this interview to an Egyptian radio station after Bush denies knowing him and after he's been indicted in U.S. court, and he acknowledges that BCCI got Pakistan the bomb, which nobody had acknowledged publicly before then. So you have to imagine he's saying to the West and the CIA and the Mossad, like, I can't go down, I know too much. And he gets to die in 1999 of natural causes. But, you know, it is... To the back of the head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is just something where, if you wonder why this thing really stops in 1993 like even though the litigation is ongoing uh another weird case that comes which we'll talk about in just a second here is the uh united kingdom was trying to keep this report i believe it's called the sandstorm report on bcci classified all the way up to the year 2011 they fought for five years in court they fought declassification efforts and this this report revealed that bear stearns which just so happened to be employing one jeffrey epstein was a broker for BCCI. Um, So it is something where, if you wonder why uh, William Barr's Justice Department covered this up, and then later Bill Clinton, who's a major funder, had uh, BCCI links, if you wonder why they covered this up and why they didn't go too hard after the Saudi connection, it's because there is so much dirt on both sides of the aisle here that... Wait, William Barr, the current AG? Yes, who was also in 92, Bush Sr.'s last attorney general. Oh, this is his second rodeo? Yeah. Oh. He was the old AG I'm as a well. moron. Okay. Yeah. They don't get rid of the fucking dirt that came in the first time around. Like barnacles, this shit stick around, son. <laughs> um, and then just a couple... Like barnacles. <laughs> you don't get rid of them. Gotta scrape them off with a fucking knife. <laughs> a couple miscellaneous <laughs> BCCI stories before we move on to, to Whitney Webster. We're doing a three-episode mar- uh, marathon and... <laughs> Yogi's getting in his mood. <laughs> Fucking starting to crack, son. <laughs> um, so just like a couple miscellaneous stories before we move on to the Whitney Webb, Jeffrey Epstein thing. Um, BCCI, uh, in the book The Outlaw Bank, they interview uh, an arms dealer who was, uh, uh, I believe he was, rep- I forget who he was representing. They were trying to do an arms sale to the Belgians. Mm-hmm. And he said that BCCI was representing the an Italian arms dealer. Hmm. And he says that in Belgium, a BCCI muscle, like a French guy, confronted him and said that he would be killed if he didn't drop out of this deal. (laughs) Um, So it is something where BCCI, uh, their arms business was very much linked up with their black network and their, uh, let's say, security services, which were very much in the business of murder and uh, intimidation. Um, And I also just wanted to point out, uh, some people might know, there was an Italian bank called BNL, uh, uh, Banco Nacional del Lavaro. BNL was uh, Saddam Hussein's U.S. banker 
according to Common Dreams, uh, that from 1985 to 89, it could make over $4 billion in secret loans to Saddam, uh, to Iraq to help it buy arms. Um, and it just so happens that uh, the uh, Kissinger Associates and Henry Kissinger... Uh, <laughs> Of course he shows up in this. Yeah, BNL was a client of Kissinger Associates, and Henry Kissinger was on the bank's international advisory board, along with uh, Brent Scowcroft, uh, who would become George Bush Sr.'s national security advisor. Uh, uh, Henry Kissinger was also in discussion with BCCI from 1986 to 1989 about taking on a relationship. And it's it's something that's mentioned in the Kerry report, where Kissinger says, yeah, we never took any money from them. But it's also like... Okay, you were talking for them with them for three years. There's right. no way you didn't. But you know, of course, yeah, as Hirsch said, um, Kissinger lies like some people breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the only way banks make money is mm-hmm. by making money. <laughs> um, and if you talk to them for three years, you got some <laughs> of their money. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and then the other part of that is, of course, um, you know. Uh, uh, he makes various referrals throughout this time, and Kissinger. Part of it is, you know, BCCI is indicted. I would like to uh, refer that I am to meet the dancing girls. <laughs> uh, part of the uh, referral. Actually, the dancing boys. I am in a bit of a mood right now. Um, uh, I particularly enjoy the boys doing the robot. <laughs> <laughs> You can bank with us. <laughs> I don't want them doing the safety dance. <laughs> they cannot dance if they want to. <laughs> they must dance because they have to. <laughs> Leave your friends behind. <laughs> we do not want witnesses. You know, it was like this with uh, Indonesia. The like song comes on. The like the MIDI keyboard. The ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> Um, you know, so uh, BCCI gets indicted in 88 and Kissinger makes the decision, oh, it's not good for my firm. Originally, uh, um, he sends a letter like advising them on how to uh, uh, respond to this public pressure. But later he um, uh, cuts ties. Like according to uh, New York Times, uh, one, a person in 88, a person from Kissinger Associates, writes to a, the head of BCCI's New York office saying, quote, I enjoyed lunch yesterday and even more your suggestion that BCCI might be interested in developing a relationship with Kissinger Associates. Uh, and he said, I am reluctant to be more specific, at least on paper, about the cons- kinds of consulting projects we undertake for clients, unquote. <laughs> um, so, you know. And for whatever reason, you know, after the indictment, uh, a a rep from Kissinger Associates writes to a BCCI executive saying, I received a call today who informed me that Dr. Kissinger uh, recommends that a public relations offensive be made by us. In that context, he has suggested using a uh, a Burson Marsteller, a highly reputable PR firm that has successfully dealt with the first Chicago crisis last year. So they're writing to BCCI after the indictment saying uh, Kissinger has a recommendation of... (laughs) <laughs> which PR firm to use. Right, right. But again, in 1989, uh, Kissinger Associates uh, distances themselves from BCCI and claims they never took any money from them, but it's like, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and I guess just other like weird stories. BCCI people have said that they controlled the government of Panama to an extensive uh, degree. This is, of course, Noriega, who was originally our friend, later overthrown by George H.W. Bush. There's a story of a guy who I believe writes to the Kerry Committee, the committee. I'm so in- glad that uh, Stephen Colbert cl- uh, made him fun and relatable by dancing with Henry Kissinger. <laughs> the uh, really uh, speaks truth to power. So this um, this letter is sent where um, a guy in Panama says he fears for his life, but he has BCCI documents uh, linked to the U.S. and Panama and Noriega. He travels to the U.S. Embassy, seals these documents, and sends them directly to the DEA, I believe in Florida. Can I guess what happens next? When the DEA... Who dies of natural causes to the back of the head? <laughs> when the DEA receives the files, they have been opened and many of them are missing. He sends them from the American embassy to the DEA <laughs> and files go missing. Also, after the U.S. invasion of Panama, many files related to BCCI and Noriega also go missing. Because in addition to Cayman Islands, Panama is <laughs> notorious for bank secrecy. So uh, BCCI, that became one of their major uh, world bases. Um, yeah, and you know, so... There's a million different stories you can tell about BCCI. The book The Outlaw Bank says Bob Gates, who is both Obama and Bush Jr.'s Secretary of Defense, secretly met with the head of BCCI, Abadi, in Hong Kong. Really? Uh, it's probably related to Iran-Contra. Um, th- there's also a story about $90 million in cash being shipped into Washington, D.C., and nobody having any idea where it ended up. What? Really? Yes. It. Uh, that seems like a... Regular occurrence, though. <laughs> yeah, so there was... Um, That's fucking nuts, man. 90 million, you said? Yes. Uh, yes, the, uh, the, the Black Network operative they were interviewing, he described how the bank moved $90 million in cash into, Washington, into the BCCI's Washington, D.C. office in the mid-1980s. Um, and uh, their intelligence source, Condor, says, my sources confirm this. Uh, so this is... Yeah. Oh, yeah, Condor. You can trust his candor. In an 18-month... In one 18-month period, $92 million found its way to Washington. Cash in these amounts obviously isn't needed for normal commercial purposes. And they don't really have an answer for what that was used for, whether it was espionage, stolen, stolen secrets, stolen hardware. Um, yeah, so... $92 million in an 18-month period in cold, hard cash has moved into BCCI Washington and nobody ever saw it again. So, you know, it's there's a million different threads that you can pull on that don't really lead anywhere. It's just <laughs> all mirrors. Carcosa. Yeah, that was the... You in Carcosa now. <laughs> Another funny story is BCCI supplies the tanks for the Kuwaiti Victory Parade. Sean, I don't know if you, you keep saying these stories are funny, and I'll be honest, man, I ain't laughing at these stories. <laughs> None of these stories have been particularly funny, dog, unless it's supposed to be some sort of like dark humor Rita Rudner type of shit. Yeah, so Kuwait had no tanks, and of course, uh, the U.S. and the Gulf War didn't want to look like imperialists, so even though this bank is like corrupt as shit and an arms dealer, they got them to supply Kuwait with tanks, and then they got them to supply (laughs) drivers for the tanks for the Kuwaiti Victory Parade, so the Kuwaiti soldiers could sit on the tanks because they didn't know how to drive them (laughs) and wave to the people. Um, but I guess last thing I'll say about BCCI is um, Bank of America in the uh, mid to late 80s sold their 30% stake 
uh, because they realized this was a corrupt operation. They didn't want to be nailed with it. But according to the book Outlaw Bank, Bank of America remained a silent partner for basically BCCI's entire life. I'm just quoting from the book. Five Bank of America senior officers were either on BCCI's board of directors or helped to manage the bank. For the next decade, the two banks would move billions of dollars a week through each other's international offices, and the Bank of America would be an invaluable, if hidden, ally since it would continue to accept BCCI's letter of credit business after virtually no other Western bank would touch it. We didn't really get into it, but letter of credit is... Uh, something in the international shipping trade where BCCI used this to smuggle weapons and people and everything else because you, in order to do international trade, a bank will guarantee a letter of credit that you will pay once goods are delivered. And then so they would do, uh, with arms sales, they would do fake letters of credit or with coffee smuggling, they would um, get coffees uh, from various non-treaty countries Uh you know, like there's humane coffee condition treaties at this time that they skirt by they say, oh, this shipment of coffee is going from one non-treaty co- country to another. And then they would say it has a layover in Florida and then it would get unloaded in Florida. And then BCCI officers would forge these uh, letters of credit to say, yeah, it, it was shipped to its destination and then it would just get sold in Florida. Um, so, you know, these letters of credit. Uh, Bank of America is ta- uh, taking these fraudulent letters of credit. Uh, indeed, it can be argued that Bank of America became the single most important financial institution helping BCCI stay afloat. In the United States alone, Bank of America transferred more than $1 billion a day for BCCI until the moment of BCCI's global seizure in July 1991. Um, and it was also a key uh, uh, partner in Abadi's deposit gathering s- scheme where to keep the Ponzi going. He needs all these deposits. So Bank of America often directed people towards BCCI offices, even <laughs> if it didn't have an official presence. And it is just something where to kind of close out the BCCI part of this, none of these people had to give the money back. Right. <laughs> you know, Bank of America got to keep it. Bear Stearns was another BCCI broker. They eventually went under for other reasons. But so much fucking money was made off this scam and really almost none of the principals have been held accountable. But I guess with the time we have left, we can talk about Jeffrey Epstein. We can talk a little bit. Hooray! About, <laughs> we can talk a little bit about the finally. Fi- yeah. Talk a little bit about the finders cult. And I, I just want to talk about this, uh, this write up in, um, in mint press by Whitney Webb, who's one of the, uh, main Jeffrey Epstein reporters out there. Um, she was the one who, uh, uh, wrote about the Assad or not Assad, Mossad connection. Yes. With Epstein. Um, so she writes about Adnan Khashoggi, uh, father of a murdered child. Uh, he was a, uh, quoting. Oh, he was Jamal's dad. Yeah. Okay. Adnan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he was also quoting. I wasn't sure if it was just like a coincidence. No. Uh, he was like a major Saudi who, uh, yeah, gave birth to Jamal Khashoggi, who was later killed by the current government of Saudi. I think you're burying in the lead that he gave birth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Adnan Khashoggi, quoting from Whitney Webb, Adnan Khashoggi was a key figure and intermediary in the Iran-Contra scandal. He used one of BCCI's accounts to move more than $20 million related to illegal arms sales, and BCCI created fake documentation, including checks signed by Oliver North, allowing the sale <laughs> to go forward. The bank later, when its activities came under scrutiny, claimed it had no records of these transactions. Oliver North was just signing checks, (laughs) and he still got away with it. Yeah. Uh, According to, um, she quotes uh, a journalist 
who wrote uh, a named Victor Ostrovsky, who wrote a book, a number one New York Times bestseller called By Way of Deception. And he claims that Adnan Khashoggi had been recruited by the Mossad years before and that his private jet had been fitted in Israel. In relation to Iran-Contra, he claims that it was a $5 million bridge loan that Khashoggi provided that helped overcome the lack of trust between Israel and Iran during the initial arms deals in the early 1980s. So she makes the allegation that Adnan Khashoggi was related to the Mossad. Vicki Ward, who's written extensively about Epstein, she did the first profile of Epstein, uh, the mysterious Mr. Epstein. Uh, she says... Where his... Uh connections to children was uh, buried. Yes, by the editor. According to Vicki Ward, Adnan Khashoggi was a client of Jeffrey Epstein's in the early 1980s, not long after Jeffrey Epstein's departure from Bear Stearns in 1981. We've mentioned again that uh, uh, Bear Stearns was a broker for BCCI and that um, Jeffrey Epstein, his job at Bear Stearns ostensibly was to help people hide their money overseas. This is BCCI's bread and butter, Cayman mm -hmm. Islands, all this shit. So, you know, and we can kind of go through this here, though I guess we didn't even mention Bill Clinton was uh, the governor of Arkansas during Iran-Contra when the Mena Airport in Arkansas was one of the key smuggling routes where uh, in Arkansas various Contras were trained Cocaine was apparently shipped out of Arkansas by the CIA, weapons as well. Barry Seal was a CIA operative who also worked for the cartels, who was murdered, I believe, by the Median cartel, but very possibly um, the U.S. government made a decision to not protect him because he knew too much. Uh, but so that's kind of the Bill Clinton connection to Iran-Contra, is he was government when a major part of Iran-Contra was being run out of his home state. And uh, yeah, so and so Vicky Ward claims that uh, Jeffrey Epstein, one of his clients, Adnan Khashoggi, was his client during the time he was running Iran Contra. Right. And so you go from there to like, there's no way at least there's not a tertiary link between Jeffrey Epstein and either the Mossad or the CIA or both. Yeah. Do you guys see that graph commons of Jeffrey Epstein and everyone he's connected to? Uh, it, was on, it was on Reddit a few days ago. Oh, nice. But it's oh, literally just like a fucking nice. spider web orgy of the U.S. government, fucking Jeffrey Epstein himself, among several, several other fucking dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> the Bill Gates, like, oh, I just, uh, I reached out to him because he knows a lot of rich people. Yeah, right. One of my favorite things is um, on our Glenn and Eva Dubin episode, at the end, I made a joke about Bill Gates being the master pedophile. <laughs> and then a, a month later, documentation comes out that Bill Gates is the master pedophile. That's what the show does, Sean. We don't realize it yet, but we're like Death Note, but of billionaires. <laughs> Doesn't always work out, but every now and then an episode comes out and it turns out, oh, wow, well, this fucking Adam yeah. Newman was certainly uh, under the spell. Or the cat, the cat that jumps up on the bed yes. of the pedophile exactly. at, the, at the old folks' house. We're Oscar. That's right. I know the cat's name. Nice. Right. So, you know, Epstein, one of his clients is Adnan Khashoggi. Well, Adnan Khashoggi is straight in the middle of the Iran-Contra deal for the Mossad and the CIA. Another connection that Whitney Webb paints is a guy named Douglas Lisi. He was an um, English arms, de arms dealer that uh, Epstein knew very well. Um, he was involved in the, a series of arms sales between the UK and Saudi Arabia called the 
al-yama deals, which means dove in Arabic. Oh. <laughs> so this is, you know, sending the nice. weapons used to murder in Yemen. <laughs> right, right. And the name is the dove deal. Um, yeah, it sounds like the peacekeeper, you know, apocalypse nuclear weapons. In, um, in 1985, Margaret Thatcher signs the first of these. There would be two more. Uh, apparently, it's alleged, but it's never been proven, that her son profited from this deal. Oh, really? Uh, in 2006, the UK Serious Fraud Office was investigating alleged bribes to the Saudis as mm-hmm. part of this deal. We've talked about uh, Saudi commissions, which are kind of indistinguishable from bribes being paid for all these arms deals. Uh, the the Serious Fraud Office in 2006 was investigating this, but the Blair government said it was not in the national interests, and <laughs> BAE Systems raised fears that it was about to lose out on the third phase of the deal if this bribery <laughs> investigation went forward. Yeah, definitely not in the national interest. Um, but the the important thing is that Douglas Lisi, this guy, uh, according to Whitney Webb and other sources, Lisi is said to have spoken of Epstein's, quote, genius and lack of <laughs> morals, <laughs> emphasis on that part, when he introduced him to Steve Hoffenberg of Tower Financial. And soon after that introduction, Hoffenberg hired Epstein. We talked about on the first Epstein episode we did about Tower Financial being a giant Ponzi scheme that Epstein was involved in. Um and then I guess like the last thing to mention here with regards to the CIA thing is Les Wexner and Southern Air Transport. You might be familiar with Air America. Air America was uh, the CIA front airline that was originally smuggling heroin out of Laos. Like at minimum, they were allowing heroin sales to fund guerrillas that backed their side in the horrific war in Laos that took place along with the wars, the wars in Vietnam and Cambodia. They were allowing heroin sales, if not... The most bombed country in the world, which <laughs> yeah. uh, is one of those weird facts where it's like, oh, who was bombing them? America was. Yeah, no one teaches you that, that more bombs were dropped on Laos than um, all the bomb, or There was more explosive power dropped on Laos than uh, all of the bombs dropped in World War II, including the nuclear bombs. Jesus Christ, really? And for years, a thousand people would get killed up until a few years ago by uh, unexploded um, bombs just in the ground in Laos because it's just filled with them. Yeah, but if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have one of our favorite characters from King of the Hill. Do you guys see that the the private chef of Epstein's opening a restaurant in San Francisco? Oh, good for him. Her. Oh, good for her. Uh, yeah. Could I get a dish without children's brains in it? <laughs> no. Yeah, so for dessert, we have adrenochrome. And for the appetizer, <laughs> we have adrenochrome. <laughs> and for the main dish, we have adrenochrome. <laughs> but it's a really good adrenochrome for the main dish. <laughs> Uh, sorry, These we, are middle class kids, not like poor kids. Yeah, we're only open when the sundial is pointing in the pattern <laughs> specified by the protocols of Moloch. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Les Wexner. Les Wexner, of course, the Victoria's Secret billionaire, the only guy who conceivably, uh, I shouldn't say the only guy, but the guy who gave Epstein the majority of his fortune, according to all public records. Right. Gave him a mansion in Manhattan for free. Gave him at least $250 million just in, like, stock transfers. And he was misled by uh, Epstein the whole time. Well, that was Victoria's Secret. So, 
Air America was this CIA front airline. According to Whitney Webb, after 1973, the company was placed in private hands, although although all of its subsequent owners would have CIA times, including James Bastian, a former lawyer for the CIA, who owned, uh, it was renamed to Southern Air Transport from Air America. He owned SAT at the time of its relocation to uh, Ohio. That's got to be an easy job. Like, So what's all this about um, a massive international operation to rape children for blackmail? Oh, that's classified. <laughs> I can't tell you anything. All right. I'll have another $100,000. <laughs> another day is the employee of the CIA. <laughs> so SAT, Southern Air Transport. Must be a great break room, though. You know? <laughs> According to Whitney Webb, it was intimately involved in the Iran-Contra affair, having been used to funnel weapons and drugs to and from the Nicaraguan Contras under the guise of delivering, quote, humanitarian aid while also sending American weapons to Israel that were then sold to Iran in violation of U.S. arms embargoes. In 1986 alone, SAT transported from Texas to Israel 90 tons of tow anti-tank missiles, which were then sold to Iran by Israel and Mossad-linked into intermediaries like Saudi arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi. So... This is a CIA front airlines based out of Florida that Les Wexner and by this time Jeffrey Epstein is his financial manager by all accounts running his books, at least on the surface of things. They transport this airline to Ohio and it becomes a major intermediary for flights between Ohio and Hong Kong because this is what Les Wexner claims he needs for his business. Um, And we've mentioned... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, so in 1995, uh, they get this airline, um, SAT, to relocate from uh, Florida, Miami, Florida, to Columbus, Ohio. Um, they get a whole bunch of tax credits from the local Ohio government to do this. Uh, Bob Fetrakis, <laughs> Bob Fetrakis, the uh, independent journalist uh, in the Ohio area, he noted that in addition to Les Wexner, the other main figures who were key in securing SAT's relocation to Ohio were Alan D. Fires Jr., a former chief of the CIA Central American Task Force, and retired Air Force Major General Richard Secord, head of air logistics for SAT's covert action in Laos between 1966 and 1968. Uh, Secord was also the air logistics coordinator in the illegal Contra resupply network for Oliver North during the Iran Contra. I can imagine the governor approving that deal where he's like signing it off and he's like, all right, we're going to run the international pedophile ring and that will show all the people who say that Ohio is boring. (laughs) Uh, Fires was also one of the key people in Iran Contra who was later pardoned by George H.W. Bush with the assistance of Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, notably, it was during the same time that Epstein exerted substantial control over Wexner's finances, and according to Bob Fetrakis and his extensive reporting on Wexner from this period, it was Epstein who orchestrated logistics for Wexner's business operations, including the Limited. This is the uh, Bill Barr who is ne- who uh, swore to really get to the bottom of why the security cameras outside of Epstein's cell were destroyed. <laughs> yep, same one. Uh, in an exclusive interview, Bob Fetrakis told Mint Press that Epstein and Wexner's involvement with SAT's relocation to Ohio caused suspicion among some prominent state and local officials that the two were working with U.S. intelligence. Fetrakis specifically stated that then-Ohio Inspector General David uh, Strutz and then-Sheriff of Franklin County Earl Smith had personally told him that they believed that both Epstein and Wexner had ties to the CIA. This is in 1995. These Ohio state officials told Bob <laughs> <Wow>. Fetrakis that. <laughs> Governor's like, it's okay, so we'll help him make uncomfortable bras. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. And so 
interestingly enough um yeah, isn't that crazy how, like, now everything we know about Les Wexner and then Victoria's Secret still kind of chugging along like nothing happened? Of course, because at any point, business interest being compromised is what they care about most. Yeah. Like, literally, every terrible occurrence of Wexner could come out, but if Victoria's Secret bottom line isn't hurt, who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's, it, it's just surreal, like, learning all this, and then, you know, you'll just see an ad uh, somewhere where it's like victoria's secret and yeah. it's you know someone in a like angel you're wearing like angel wings and a bra and it's like oh yeah the the pedophile company one of the pedophile companies <laughs> yeah let's not let's not single them out yeah there's also grubstakers llc <laughs> <laughs> uh bob fitrakis also told mint press that struts had uh the um uh inspector general of ohio had referred to SAT's route between Hong Kong and Columbus on behalf of Wexner's company, The Limited, as, quote, the Meyer-Lansky run, as he believed that Wexner's association with SAT was related to his ties to elements of organized crime mm. that were connected to the Lansky-created National Crime Syndicate. In addition, Catherine Austin Fitz, the former investment banker and government official who was extensively investigated, who has extensively investigated the intersection of organized crime, black market, Wall Street, and the government in the U.S. economy was told by an ex-CIA employee that Wexner was one of the five key managers of organized crime cash flows in the United States. We've talked about also Wexner's possible links to the murder of lawyer Arthur Shapiro the day before he was to testify about to the IRS about offshore tax havens used by the limited. He was the lawyer who had the limited account for Les Wexner. He was shot twice in the head mob style. Unsolved murder. Sounds like a suicide. <laughs> but, I mean, it is something. Oh, yeah. And so this airline, SAT, that's it, run by the Wexner, uh, by Wexner and Epstein from 95 to 98. It declares bankruptcy in 1998, uh, conveniently just after it comes out that it was involved in the Iran-Contra scandal, that it was a CIA front during Iran-Contra. <laughs> so I guess it is something here where... Uh, you know, I, I guess we have teased that we're going to talk about the the finders and the Franklin credit scandal. I think we're already like near the amount of time that we have here, but we could just mention. I've looked into the Franklin credit scandal a bit. I, I I'm not sure. Is if that the one connected with the Vatican? Yeah, I can't remember. there's so many fucking pedophile scandals from the 80s, and and Whitney Webb has wrote about them, and I don't know how much they all link together, and how many of them are just like go down this rabbit hole and don't focus on BCCI and Epstein and shit. <laughs> right, you know? right. Um, but I guess we could just mention the finders here, and maybe we'll revisit the uh, uh, Franklin credit scandal in a future episode. Yeah, I mean, the the finders thing, it's... That one, it's hard to um, come up with much. Like, the main, uh, uh, the main issue was there were a couple of guys with a bunch of, like, very, uh, very suspiciously at a park with some children who were covered in bug bites look disheveled malnourished and uh they got arrested um for you know they it looked like they'd kidnapped the kids and when they were arrested uh they didn't give or when when the police confronted them they didn't give any uh information as to uh where the kids were from they were very evasive with the police and uh the medical examiners who looked at the kids said that there was possibly signs of sexual assault and these guys were traced back to this cult in Washington, D.C. called the Finders, who um, 
this is where things get murky because they were able to confirm that the kids uh the kids had said themselves these were like really young kids that oh we're being weaned off of our mothers hmm. which you know normal thing Oof. for a child to say well they said like these men are our teachers yeah like, really yeah and um it turned out that when they actually traced the it back to their mothers in Washington DC that their mo- those were actually their mothers who were also in this cult and it was kind of a a new age uh weird thing where there was a guy called the game master mm-hmm. who uh would give people directions to do all these uh weird things like oh uh, leave here with no money and come back with a hundred dollars, things like that. Mm-hmm. But they also found, uh, go ahead, Steven. Yeah. So they're, the finders are run by this guy called Marion Petty. Mm. Um, and he was like, a extremely charismatic sort of unusual guy. He like, he really believed in, um, what he called natural living, which was like yeah, deprogramming, also. like not having your kids go through education formal education of any type yeah and just like allowing them to like organize amongst themselves and like you're just there to um enforce like some basic guidelines but otherwise they just but organizing is good right (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's trying to unionize the kids (laughs) (laughs) uh and so marion had like a position called he was the game caller and like he would occasionally like all he would let on basically was that he would call different games for the kids Hmm. and that they would, that was basically was their education. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, the dungeon master. Yeah. It's very extremely vague in his account. Yeah. Um, And they they also found documents that detailed how to uh, acquire children. One of them was just like ways for impregnating women. Um, this was part of a, uh, a raid that was carried out in 1987. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there was like a raid by um, uh, Metropolitan Police for the DC area, and I forget uh, the other agency that was involved. Uh, the agent from the customs. Yeah, customs. Yeah, so he was sent there, and he made he wrote up a, a report of his findings from the raid. Or the, the warrant that was exercised on the finders cult's place and he found like a, a pretty sophisticated computer system where they it looked like they had like set up communications with a couple other uh bases of some type mm-hmm. and they were like had like a fairly sophisticated sort of logistics network and including some like last minute instructions on how to how to essentially move children around Right, and evade right. police and like telling them to do that right away because of all this extra this added police attention from the earlier report that like like the way the way this this from this the arrest raid, in florida yeah mm-hmm. the raid the raid came about based on the arrest in florida based on like oh there are these two guys they're just like well-dressed white yeah. men who are uh Near these shepherding kids around who look these like disheveled they, kids. Yeah, they haven't even eaten in days or something. Yeah, right. They were the kids would take it into custody and they like urinated on the floor and they couldn't speak English. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I bet they were instructed to do shit like that. I think they could speak English. Oh, they they just acted kind of feral. I guess. Yeah. Maybe they could speak English. Yeah. So you're right. They could speak English. My bad. One of one of Marion Petty's followers, he ended up writing a book years and years later. 
on like his experiences in the in the the finders and it's kind of like it's one of those books that like there there are other books based on former cult members experiences that are like uh unsanctioned sort of like by the whoever was like the right right the charismatic leader but this one seems like it kind of was so like Hmm. i think it might be slightly a case of like an unreliable narrator right because it seemed to be sanctioned by petty hmm and petty's wife was like cia right or what was the connection there yeah yeah she had like an office job with the cia huh yeah and he bragged about how like you know she told him all the secrets and stuff hmm it's so it's one of those things where I read that customs agent report and then it ends with saying uh, we were told this was a matter for intelligence and not to investigate any further. And yeah. then you go through his report and it's horrifying. He goes into these different places and, you know, there's like fucking pentagrams and shit and telex machines that are communicating with other offices in London and other places. And it's just one of those things where I like read it. And I'm like, this has got to be fake. Right. It's just so <laughs> on the nose that I'm like, yes, the CIA put this here to keep me from researching more about Epstein and BCCI. Yeah, seriously. But it, it's it's very disturbing. And then I guess a bunch of documents related to this just got FOIA'd. The FBI just released them under Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, and those didn't really lead anywhere, which makes sense because if they're going to release some documents, like it's not going to have anything incriminating. Yeah, well, like there's like, a handwritten note in the documents that says this is not a CIA front. Yeah, <laughs> like, <and> then, well, <laughs> some written just, in 2019. <laughs> right, some of the docs are just redacted, like half. Yeah, yeah, there are large parts redacted yeah. too, and then other ones don't really talk about anything. Yeah, yeah. you know, because when there's nothing there, you you want to redact the entire thing. Yeah. But that's the other thing. It's like, well, if the CIA was leading you on wild goose chases, I'm sure they would make it look like they were hiding something. Yeah. And I have no idea which category the finder's cult falls into. But it is another thing. What was the BCCI connection that, that or what led you to that? Because you base, you were our um, uh, game master where you <laughs> said, look into uh, the finders. It was something where I started following BCCI to a bunch of different conspiracy websites. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a direct link with the Finders, but people would talk about BCCI, the Franklin Credit Scandal, and the Finders as all being linked because, you know, BCCI was, of course, involved in child trafficking, and BCCI was also a CIA front, or at least used extensively by the CIA. Mm-hmm. So it is something where um, I just kind of stumbled onto it from there like various conspiracy podcasts talking about the finders. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it is something where the thing is they want you to waste your time, but they also want you to look crazy. Where right. I do believe that Jeffrey Epstein was at least, you know, utilized as an asset by Mossad and or the CIA. I mean, um, if not both. Yes. Acosta stated that explicitly when he said he was told to back off because... This was intelligence. Yeah, like if that's not a smoking gun right then, right know. yeah and like the the weird so i guess overall from a high vantage point the weirdest thing with the finders to me anyway was that they weren't really properly investigated and it was just kind of like pushed under the rug yeah yeah despite all of these weird coincidences that right. together uh would constitute something that you should at least like enough to charge someone with like potentially child endangerment or something yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, at minimum. And then, like, in the documents they released, like, I forget who it was, said there were tunnels underneath. I don't know if he's a reliable witness underneath, like, the this little school that they had set up. Well, that seemed like a tangent, the tunnel thing. Was that, oh, that directly was... related to the Finders? Did they have that, or was that a separate case? That I, I, think, I think that, that was, was Finders a... related. Or maybe it was separate. I mean, I the know. document there was, was another... in the Finders, but I don't know if it, it was in... But, you know, it's it's a, it's a all the related documents. There was another case of a school where they... Um, a, an anonymous caller said that a, a, a preschool or actually a daycare were right. were molesting kids and sexually abusing them hmm. and, and that was the one with the tunnel yeah right. and they said there were tunnels underneath it and they couldn't find anything during the official sort of investigation hmm. with the court but then years later they had an archaeologist go in and see like okay was there any evidence there was a tunnel and he was like yes there was oh really yeah but it's the thing is like all this shit with the 80s where Look, I, I read the, the Wikipedia article for the Franklin scandal is so obviously written to be like, this is a conspiracy. There were multiple investigations. Nothing was found here. And it's like, okay, fair enough. You know, I'm going to just trust that there's nothing there to the Franklin scandal. Though listeners, happy to, to read your sources. Please send me more if, uh, if that's wrong. But there's something that happens in the 80s, what's called, you know, the satanic panic and the, the child molestation panic. And there also definitely was a pope who was murdered over uh, right. trying to shut down the Vatican Bank. Right. And we don't even have time to get into all the fucking Catholic, uh, American Catholic churches who were linked to various Go agencies. Go back to episode 100 <laughs> on the Vatican. Various agencies of the U.S. government and various fundraisers for uh, Democratic and Republican politicians who've been caught up in, like, straight up child rape. Uh, and, and Gary Glitter. Let's yes. not forget about him. <laughs> but my point is here, the satanic panic and the dismissal that everything that happened in the 80s was a conspiracy theory, mass hysteria. Well, you have to imagine, like, it doesn't take a genius to imagine or a conspiracy person or a paranoid to think at some level this might have been pushed. This might have been, hey, shut the fuck up about BCCI, shut the fuck up about Epstein. Like, this is all just crazy. Like, you're nuts. And the Finders cult and uh, the Franklin credit scandal fall into that in, in terms of things that have been dismissed as part of the satanic panic. And I don't mm. know the truth of them, but I do think with regards to BCCI and Jeffrey Epstein, I think that's the truth. And then I don't know if these other things are just distractions or things that are there to make you waste your time and look crazy. Well, they I think could... Stephen and I uh, actually were able to confirm that the Finders uh, were part of a project to um, bring... Uh, the sixth king of hell, Lord Paimon, uh, back to life as he was brought into the wrong body. And uh, we support that because Paimon brings riches and Patreon subscribers. Uh, which project? Hmm? Which project? <laughs> uh, the, the Bring Back King Paimon project. We just we made the episode so long so people turn it off and then we do a satanic ritual at the end <laughs> where we sacrifice a child. <laughs> To payment. Yeah. So there's going to be a short pause here, and then they'll be like, still listening. We have looked to the Northwest and called you in. We've corrected your first female body Ooh. and give you now this healthy male host. We reject the Trinity and pray devoutly to you, great payment. Give us your knowledge. Of all secret things, bring us honor, wealth, and good familiars. Bind all men to our will 
as we have bound ourselves for now and ever to yours. The aristocrats. <laughs> and with that... <laughs> Wait, actually, sorry. I, I know we got a little long here, but I got one other thing I want to do. Real quick, from Whitney Rebs repo- Webb's reporting, Jackson... Look, if you have too many more things, I think there's going to be a murder-suicide by the back of the head. Yeah, I think so, Sean. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a couple of murder-suicides here tonight. <laughs> Jackson T. Stevens was one of Clinton's Bill Clinton's main fundraisers. The campaign, he uh, provided Clinton's first presidential campaign with a $3.5 million line of credit. Uh, just so happens, according to Whitney Webb, Jackson Stevens and other prominent members of the Stevens uh, family... Um, BCCI was largely brought into the United States business community through the efforts of Jackson Stevens and Burt Lance, Carter's former budget director, who assisted with BCCI's acquisition of First American Bank. The law firm involved in the effort was Arkansas's Rose Law Firm, uh, where Hillary Rodham Clinton just so happened to be a partner. So if you are wondering perhaps why Bill Clinton did not investigate BCCI after taking over from George H.W. Bush, one of his main money people was one of the people who tried and made some money bringing BCCI into the United States. And one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, <laughs> Evelyn de Rothschild, Evelyn Ford. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Sorry about that. I had to turn the volume up for payment. One last thing I want to mention. Uh, Evelyn uh, uh, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild writes a letter to Bill Clinton in 1995. This is from the Clinton Library. You can look at it, where she says... Um, uh, it was nice using my... Fi- uh, let me just get the quote here. She writes this letter. Where yeah, she- I'm, I'm going to ask that you... Definitely, if you're going to bring up the Rothschilds, to make sure you don't <laughs> just go around willy-nilly, because that's a real... Uh... So, Evelyn Forrester, in 1993... This is before she's a Rothschild, actually. You want to go crazy? She marries into Not the... Not really. She... <laughs> Evelyn Forrester marries into the Rothschilds because she is introduced to a Rothschild by Henry Kissinger at the meeting of the Bilderberg Group. Oh. In 1993, she's not yet a Rothschild. She gets divorced, and apparently Jeffrey Epstein helps her during her divorce financially and with other services in 1993. In 1995, she writes a letter to Bill Clinton uh, where she was a member of Clinton's National Information Infrastructure Advisory Council. She writes the following. Dear Mr. President, it was a pleasure to see you recently at Senator Kennedy's house. There was too much to discuss and too little time. Using my 15 seconds of access to discuss Jeffrey Epstein and currency stabilization, I neglected to talk to you about a topic dear and near and dear to my heart, namely affirmative action and the future. (laughs) Um, And again, it's something where we've talked a lot about the Bill Clinton connection to Jeffrey Epstein, but I think I think we've laid it out pretty well that there has to be something there. And the fact that Jeffrey Epstein's like suicide or murder or whatever it was has really just disappeared from the news. And, you know, just like the fucking BCCI scandal disappeared, where there's going to be some documentaries, there's going to be some books that come out about this shit. But if the status quo continues a decade from now, you know, you'll be looking up Jeffrey Epstein and you'll notice that all of the books, they were, the last ones were all written in 2020. Like nobody met in 2030, nobody follows up on this story. It just kind of disappears. And I think that is just a consequence of when a scandal is, is truly a scandal, it manages to embed itself in both the Democratic and Republican parties. It is not just Nixon spying on the Democratic parties and making enemies and becoming the scandal. Of the well, century. it's a tumor. Yeah. 
and the tumors that we talk about are the ones that need to be removed. But the shit like this that gets covered up, they they become benign. The They're tum- still in the tumor that are billionaires. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they need to be removed. You know, the 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 physically. The, the premise of the show is 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 there such a thing as a good one? And uh, boy, boy, are we so far from that premise at this point, huh? We can't stop talking about child rape. And, you know, when we really look at it in the history of time, in the history of man, if you will, it's never stopped. There's never been an era where kids aren't getting fucked. I remember when we met at a coffee shop to, like, launch a fun, funny podcast to further our comedy careers. And then uh, now we're going to get shot through the back of a head by a silencer in our Guatemalan hotels. (laughs) Why were we in Guatemala? Live know. episode. Yeah, we made a huge <laughs> yeah. mistake. Wow, we're getting all these listeners from Guatemala. We should go out there and uh, give them a, a live show. Apparently, they want us to come out by boat. We're doing a college show, but it says on Wikipedia there's no colleges on this island. Well, we'll be doing our live show in like a Thai prison <laughs> in a year. <laughs> we we do one of those like uh, marijuana gateway comedy shows, but you actually first have to inject yourself with the army nerve agent that oh numbs your <laughs> fucking body so they can cut your wrists open. All right, yeah. I gotta pee. Yeah. Uh, so with that, this has been Grub Stakers. I'm Andy Palmer. Yogi Paywall. Steve Jeffries. Uh, Sean McCarthy, we will be doing BCCI follow-up episodes. Please hit us Are up. Are we with- really? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there, the other, there's so many billionaires who made money off this who didn't have to return this money, and we will be talking about other billionaires linked to the BCCI scandal. And uh, you know what? Hit us up uh, if you want us. If you have any information for us, we didn't get to in this uh, fucking marathon three-parter on BCCI. Uh, thanks for your Patreon subscription. Uh, you allow us to keep doing what we're doing. Hail Payman. <laughs> Bye.